This is the 200 Churches Podcast, episode 42. And again, very bluntly, rather than asking you know, the people to just be an over-churched and be at the church running church programs for church people, release them to go home. Say, go home, be with their family. Go home and go, go back to your neighborhood and invest in more relationships with people who are not in church and bring them and invite them. Invite them back to church. And if we'll have less programs in the church, we free people up to go be normal Christians in the community, invite people back to church, and actually grow the church because of that. This is the 200 Churches Podcast, created to encourage and inspire pastors of small churches. Now here are two guys who lead and pastor in a 200 church and strive to provide information and encouragement to make you smile, think, and be challenged. The Boardwalk and Park Place of Ministry Podcasts, Jeff and Johnny. No, Johnny, no, no. Johnny says we should do this as a video podcast, and I'm telling him, you know, he's looking at me, and he's thinking we should do a video podcast. I'm looking at him, and I'm saying... That's how it is. Oh, no. my. Yeah, no, think... no. Just look in the mirror, and you'll know why we do an audio podcast. You're a you're a handsome man. I guess I thought maybe I was as well. But Let's uh... move right along. This is the 200 Churches Podcast. Thank you for listening today. My name is Jeff Cady, and I'm here with my friend... Johnny Craig. And today is part three. We are so excited. Part three of the Ryland... Okay, it's not a trilogy. It's five of them. So what would it be? Penta... Pentology. I have no idea. Pentateuchology. But this is the Dan Ryland. This is the Pentateuch of amplified leadership. This is Dan Ryland once a month. There you go. So Dan has been on the last Wednesday of the month, this month, and the last two months, and he will be in November and December. And today is part three, and we're looking at chapters five and six of his book, Amplified Leadership. And uh, we're going to get right to that recording in just a minute, but. In chapter 5, Dan talks about inviting people into meaningful ministry, inviting people in. And one of the things he says, he says, is to uh, share the vision, not the task. Right. And and Johnny and I were talking about this, and we thought, you know, if somebody, if I wanted somebody to uh, get involved in nursery ministry, I would say, hey, uh, hey, excuse me, uh, Jane, but uh, could you at least once a month, could you watch these kids in this room over here? Uh, during the church service, yeah, there's well, there's some chairs in there you could hold them or just do whatever you do with kids. But could you just keep those kids in that room over there, right? Uh, once a month for an hour, and I'll, I'm going to get three other people to do it the other three Sundays. But if you could do that and serve God that way, we'd appreciate it. I don't know that Jane is going to be so into that. That sounds uh, that sounds pretty terrible. So that would be what it would be like to share the task with someone. Uh, and that does not sound appealing at all. But Dan encourages us to share the vision yeah, and not the task. So sharing the vision would be you might come up to somebody and uh, what you had, Jane, we'll say I have Mike. And you might say, hey, Mike, I have an opportunity for you to serve parents. I have an opportunity for you to help uh, people get a chance to take a break, to worship God, to have their minds not on their children for a little while, to have a chance to have some community. I could give him the vision of the nursery ministry, which is really that we can give parents a chance to have community, a chance to worship God, and that not be worried about what's happening in the nursery. And some churches, you know, the nursery can be a pretty freaky place. Dungeon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, you know, we want to create a nursery that, that is a place where parents feel totally comfortable dropping their children off. So uh, my ask to Mike would probably not include 
you know, a list of uh, wiping noses and uh, changing dirty diapers, but would instead be about what the really the heart of nursery ministry is, which is serving parents. Which is changing lives by changing diapers. Yeah. Is really what it is. Yeah, and it is. Hey, hey, that's the new logo. Let's put it over the door of our nursery. I like that, actually. Changing lives by changing diapers. So that's, uh, you know, even even the nursery ministry, the much maligned nursery ministry, even the nursery ministry is important. And so we're going to talk to Dan today. Uh, uh, it's a great conversation. I encourage you to take take notes if you can, because I mean, honestly, it's this is good stuff from his book, Amplified Leadership. Let's get to that right now. Let's move on to part three of your book where it's called, you've titled it Embrace a Team Member. I really like this because I... I'm high on on team chemistry. I, I just think it's so important, and um, you know, just I just like the title "Embrace a Team Member." And you're talking about inviting individuals into meaningful ministry uh, in chapter five, and then chapter six, equip your team for ministry success. But I got to ask you this question: You said in your book that the staff members at Twelve Stone Church, where you're at, they enjoy winning this thing called the Dirty Bird award more than the good bird <laughs> award so uh, tell us why and tell us what they are well it's true i i guess i should hate to admit it but it's true every month we have all staff and we'll have a leadership training lesson and we'll introduce new staff if there are and we'll do birthdays you know kind of a big uh, inspiring sort of thing and mm-hmm. the whole staff's in the room and part of that morning once a month is we give out the dirty bird award and the good bird well the good bird is like the servant leader best leader amazing leader of the month and and the dirty bird is kind of like our equivalent of the dumb and dumber award of the <laughs> uh, uh, of the the leadership idiot of the month i promise I think possibly because uh, at 12 Stone, sarcasm is a spiritual gift. I mean, it kind of all fits in the same vein that when they win this award, and it usually comes equipped, comes with video and everything, it's like a red badge of honor. I got the dirty bird, you know, and, and, and you get laughed at, and it's hysterical, and I've won it many times, and I'm proud of it. <laughs> Gee, Johnny, I wonder which award you would win. <laughs> Yeah. Well, this goes this goes back to even the first section of your book where you said, you know, that leadership you need to have a, a lightheartedness about you, right? And that's what yep. this sounds like. It's very much so a, light, a lightheartedness. No one, all leaders, all leaders have to practice intensity, but nobody likes an intense person. Nobody wants to follow an intense person. So you need to. All of us need to know. I mean, Jeff, you, Johnny, me, all of us. We have to know how to throttle the gas pedal of leadership intensity. And some guys just don't know when to back off. And and uh, I, I've met uh, leaders who I simply say my my greatest contribution, my the gift I gave to them was I said, dude, lighten up. You know, I've been here three hours, and you've never smiled once. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And and literally, you know, literally saying, you just need to smile more. And some sometimes it's a deeper issue, and sometimes they literally go, I, I didn't know I wasn't. And um, but yeah, it's a, the people need to laugh. People need a lighthearted leader, but that doesn't mean we're not serious. It just means. You're not serious and intense all the time because people can't handle that. Well, I like what Rick Warren has to say in his term uh, where he approaches ministry with relaxed concern. 
that, that, that has really helped me over the years. You know, yeah, you're concerned and you want to pay attention to what you're doing. You want to work hard, but, but there's, a, there's a level of relaxation about you, too, because, you know, you can't, yeah, like you said, you can't be in, in first gear going 70 miles an hour down the road for very long before your engine blows. That's a great picture because that, that picture immediately put in my mind a whining sound. The gear is going too high. Mm-hmm. And people can't handle either. That's just you know, this almost a, at a wine level of frenzy. That, yeah, that's a good picture. I think when we talk about lighthearted <clears throat> versus intense, um, sometimes people can confuse lighthearted with um, passive. And so you talked about the importance of the staff team handling conflict constructively. And, and we've talked about conflict here at 200 Churches before as well and how it can be good and why should we embrace it. I don't think it's a secret that most churches don't know how to handle conflict um every church has it but they don't necessarily know what to do with it a lot of leaders you know deny it or avoid it so can you just give us some tips for handling conflict positively um how as pastors we can engage conflict in a positive way sure i think the beginning thing is to set an environment that gives permission that if you disagree you don't get smacked you know you don't get uh, beat up, so to speak. Uh, second, that you're in an environment that you're in, that not only encouraged to tell the truth, but it's it's required to tell the truth. Mm-hmm. Now, and then third, uh, it's important to teach people how to manage their emotions. Uh, we we literally uh, can and have had staff get themselves uninvited from a room, uninvited from a table, because they couldn't handle their passion, their emotion. Hmm. And and uh, good guys, smart guys, love Jesus, going to heaven, all good, all good. But the size of the table uh, is the way we say it here is uh, uh, speed and pressure reveal who you are as a leader. And the bigger the church, the more speed and the more pressure. And as it climbs up, you discover kind of who you are. Uh, like like Kevin and I will, will, will say. Um, we make decisions now in five minutes that we used to have five hours. We make decisions now in five hours. We used to have five months. It's just all speed and pressure. Hmm. And so when you get to the table, you can disqualify yourself in conflict or disagreement that was healthy simply because you couldn't manage your emotion. All, all those things together allow men and women to sit at a table and have quite intense fellowship, can we call it? <laughs> and and so at the end, you walk out fully aligned. Let's go have pizza. We're, this is great. This is just how we tell the truth. Uh, rather than avoiding it, pretending, leaving the elephant in the room and making nice, and then, and, then, and then the opposite happens. People go out in the hallways and grumble and gossip and stuff. We'd rather get it out in the room than go in the hallways in the lobby and get it out in an unhealthy way. Yeah, and, and you're talking about this in, in your context, but... I, this works in the same way, right, with a small church pastor, with two or three deacons or elders, or, you know, a five-person leadership team. Absolutely. When I talk about staff, thanks for saying that. When I talk about staff, I don't mean just paid staff. Your staff may be all volunteer. As a matter of fact, some of the best leaders in your church are probably volunteer. So staff are just your top leaders, and they may be all paid, might be paid and volunteer, might be all volunteer. But, and then of course, deacons, board members, uh, that's the group you're talking about because whoever you're, whoever is alongside the senior pastor leading the church, that's the group we're talking about. Now, you said something that, that is created a, a new thought in me. And, 
you said that they need to be able to manage their emotions. So sometimes you hear leaders talking about, yeah, on our team, you know, we can we have these knockdown drag outs, you know, we fight it out in the boardroom and then we all walk out unified. But it sounds like you're talking about being able to share the truth from your true opinion and your true feelings without it getting to the point where it's a knockdown drag out and people are screaming and hollering. Yeah, I that is correct. I think we would we would say uh, we we can have very serious intensity, but for us, uh, I can only speak for us. If it gets to yelling and raised voices, and when when you get to a point where where it starts to slip toward anger, mm-hmm. I think you've gone too far, and now. You forfeit when you can't, uh, and I don't mean a contained thing or not being real thing. I mean, you forfeit leadership. Anger almost always forfeits leadership because you've lost control. When you lose control, you've lost the you've you've lost your right to lead. Yeah. And so, if you're in a room and you've lost control, you've lost your right to speak. Yeah. So you're talking about maturity, maturity and leadership, and also a really good culture on a team that expects each other to tell the truth to each other and to one another so that uh, the best the best results come out in the long run. Correct. You wrote this. If you're leading a small church and have a limited number of people to work with, there are two things you can do. First, reduce the number of ministries you offer in your church. And second, invest more time in the people who are attending but not yet serving. So let's talk about that because I think in a lot of churches they think that if they reduce the number of ministries that they have, they're actually lowering their potential for their church to grow. So, you know, I'm thinking about this small church and they're only doing like, say, eight things, but maybe they need to get rid of one or two things to make the others better. Um, and, and then again, if people aren't serving, uh, does that indicate that they're really not not good prospects to begin with? So don't bother to lure them into the game and get them involved. So there's really two questions there. Um, yeah. Does, does paring down your ministry, can it actually help you to grow? And then should you try to lure in people who are kind of on the fringes? I completely and wholeheartedly believe that leaning out your ministry, you know, the Thomas Rayner idea of Simple Church, uh, his book, Simple Church, leaning mm-hmm. out your ministry is is not even just a choice or a subjective thing. I think it's these days essential. I think if we can if we can use our 80s language and go back in time, I think there was a day, and in fact, I was raised that way. I was uh, it was modeled for me that um, the more ministries you have, the more connection points to the church, the more connection points to volunteers, the more. And, and I I've actually was raised in that, watched it work, mm-hmm. and now I've completely changed my philosophical approach. I no longer believe that works in current culture. I no longer know uh, really any thriving, huge, growing, fast-growing church who does that. I truly believe that no one local church can do everything. And so uh, if, if you can't do everything, then, then you want to say, well, if we can't do everything, which is kind of obvious, then, then the question is, well, should we do what we do? Should it be random or strategic? Well, it obviously should be strategic. Well, if it should be strategic – then we go after what we call the divine thumbprint, and uh, which is the leaders are on their knees before God and say, God, help us choose. Let us know what you want us to do. That's what we do here. Let us know what you want us to do here because 
we don't want to invent it. We don't want to make it up. We want to do what you want us to do because we can't do everything. And, and that allows you to go deep and strong and strategic and have God's favor on it. So I, I just get very fired up uh, to encourage all pastors to lean it out as much as possible. Dan, I guess this is making me wonder, um, especially for small churches, and we live in a town here, there's about five, 6,000 people in our town, and we actually have 13, 14 churches. Um, and this makes me think, you know, at Dover, I got brought on to do some youth stuff. Um, there are other good youth programs in town, and, and I love my job, and I'm not trying to <laughs> ditch youth <laughs> ministry. You're fired. But there are other great youth programs in town, and I wonder um, if there's an element of we, we have expectations for what we're supposed to do at church, and so we're not looking for ministries that are needed and valuable. So at Dover, our church, um, you know, we're thinking about ministries where we can do more service, get into the community, do more stuff. And some people, I think, are fatigued at the idea of more ministries happening. But really, maybe the most important things aren't happening because we're doing, we're we're redundant in some ways in other ministries. Is that a pro? I guess, do you see that type of problem? Do you perceive that that's a that's a real issue? I do absolutely, and and right immediately connected to that is the fact that many of the ministries that are being done are not effective, not productive, and not or, or being more blunt, just they just don't even work. Right. And so it's all these things wrapped together. It's doing the doing a fewer number to uh, of ministries that are designed that you know you've got God's hand on, and so you're freeing up the people. You're, you're uh, more efficient with your resources. And again, very bluntly, rather than asking your, the people to just be in over-churched and be at the church running church programs for church people, release them to go home. Say, go home. Be with your family. Go home and go, go back to your neighborhood and invest in more relationships with people who are not in church and bring them and invite them. Invite them back to church. And if we'll have less programs in the church, we free people up to go be normal Christians in the community, invite people back to church, and actually grow the church because of that. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. In chapter 6, you've got—chapter 6 is so good, and I just want to encourage our listeners, make sure they spend some time in chapter 6. And and I just found some really good quotes. So uh, I'm just going to read a quote, and then maybe you could just uh, you could just— talk about it for a minute. Just unpack sure. it a little bit. And the first quote is this. You wrote, when a Christian is whole and healthy, serving is seen as a natural part of life, not as a duty. Equipping works best in an environment where the people do not see their service as helping the pastor get his work done. I get, I get excited about that. It's almost a three-step transition. The, the, the first step is in the, unhe- in the unhealthy congregation, small churches, where the pastor is just a hired hand. And uh, and they expect him or her to do everything. Then the next step in the transition, if the pastor is leading this process, is to they actually uh, begin to you know take Ephesians four eleven and twelve and help them begin to see that the pastor equips the people for ministry. And it's okay at a second stage for people to say, "Well, I'm helping the pastor get his work done." But even that is still incorrect. It's not biblical, and it's not the end game end goal. Mm-hmm. But you're taking a step forward. The end goal 
is where the people begin to realize, again, Ephesians 4, 11, 12, that uh, actually the pastor is helping the people get their work done, their kingdom work done. And that's the progression that some churches have to go through, especially little ones, because if a if a pastor's in a church where the board uh, sort of sees him as the, we hire you to do the work, but we're in charge, yeah. you can't jump all the way to stage three that fast. You've got to walk the congregation, first the board, then the church, slowly to that healthy point where they see, actually, the pastor's here to equip us to do our work. Okay, and, and, this, and the next quote, Johnny, read the next quote, because I think it describes the kind of an attitude a pastor who had to take that church in that direction would have to have. You wrote, A volunteer's service is not less valuable because the person is not paid. In fact, their work is actually more valuable because it is a gift. For, for me, for us, that's just a mindset. We so, we're so grateful for the volunteer. We're so grateful for these individuals. They're the backbone. They're the muscle. They're the army of the church. And the, and the way you view them in your heart, I think if a pastor, again, going back, do you, do you need them, do you use them, or do you build them? I think the heart of a pastor is critical here uh, to just simply be grateful for these volunteers who, who rise up. I really like that quote. It, you know, they're given it as a gift, so it's more valuable. And then another thing you said in this chapter, you talked about being unprepared for ministry when you graduated. I think those of us who are over, you know, a year in ministry, we might realize that, that we were unprepared when we graduated. But, but you, said, um, uh, you said that you learned by doing ministry. Uh, and you wrote, you, I'm not going to read that whole quote now, but you've just got a bunch of stuff in there that you didn't know how to do when you graduated. And it wasn't necessarily the seminary's fault. It's just you can only teach so much in three or four years. Uh, but speak to that small church pastor who's who's kind of new. He might be young, and he's just uh, he's just running into a lot of things he doesn't doesn't know how to do. Uh, I guess speak to that in a way that might give him a little hope. I think number one, realize you're not alone. We we all we all started there. We don't really know what to do. Even and I and I was a fan of my uh, seminary experience. But I think, I think the hope comes from this. You, you need a mentor. You need a leader who is a couple of steps ahead of you, not 15 steps ahead of you, but a couple of steps ahead of you that you can relate to. And maybe they would offer you two or three lunches a year. You don't, you don't really need to meet with them every week or every month. And, because if you're really going really to learn and practice out what they, what they coach you in, that takes time. So uh, – and very – and, and here's here's even more hope and encouragement. When you ask a pastor that maybe is a, in a church double your size, if you're in a church of 150 and you find a pastor in a church of 300, that's a great – or 400, that's the guy you should be talking to. If you ask that that guy, can I meet with you every three weeks or four weeks? Or five? Well, well, probably not. But if you ask him, could I, could I take you to lunch two or three times a year and I'll come prepared with great questions, I've n- almost never heard those guys say no. And, and again, it'll take you that many months to practice out what he said. You, you just don't need any more meetings than that. And that's very encouraging when you'll jump into it with that mindset. I think that suggestion is priceless. Um, Dan, you, ch- you titled this chapter, Equip Your Team for Ministry success. So can you explain what is the difference between developing 
and equipping. I sure can. That's a big deal here. The language matters, not the actual words. You can choose any word word you want. But you got to know the difference. Even though, a, even though there's a blend and blur, you've got to know the difference. Equipping is training people for a specific ministry task. Developing is investing in people for their personal, their personal growth. The way we say it is when you develop somebody, you're helping them become a bigger, better, stronger person. Equipping is training somebody for a specific ministry task, such as training a, a children's leader how to lead a child to Christ or how to training an usher how to take an offering or a small, small group leader how to facilitate a discussion. We're developing, we're pouring in typically on a spiritual life or leadership level where they may get a, a raise in, the, in their job because you help them get out in front. You're, you're pouring into who they are as a person. The equipping is on the church's agenda, which is great. Developing is on the person's agenda. Okay, that's the end of part three of our conversation with Dan Ryland. He was talking about volunteers. I just wanted to read that quote again that Johnny read. A volunteer service is not less valuable because the person is not paid. In fact, their work is actually more valuable because it's a gift. And as small church pastors, we are working with volunteers. We're working with lay people. We're not working with a lot of paid staff, but with lay people. So again, as you look through this book, Amplified Leadership, and you look at all of these lessons, we as small church pastors, we just have to adapt them to uh, working with lay people, and we need to equip them and develop them just as much as, as Dan, as an executive pastor, has to equip and develop his paid staff. I think one major difference that you're going to get between volunteer versus paid staff is just time that you have to invest in that person. Um, you know, if you have a volunteer, they, they have another job somewhere, you know, and, and their and their life in another place. And so that's why they are more valuable is because even outside of that, they're giving extra time to the church, to God. Um, but then we get less time to equip and develop. So we need to be more um, intentional, I think, with volunteers about using our time wisely. And so uh, when we equip volunteers, we need to be concise uh, and, and we need to be uh, very clear. There's not, you know, there's not as much room for error on our end, on the end of our communication, just because, yeah, we don't have them for all these hours and hours and hours uh, that we would have a staff member. Yeah, I really like what Dan said, how he emphasized equipping people for success in ministry. He said, you know, don't invite somebody into something and then just abandon them. So when is the last time you or I have invited somebody to be involved in a ministry they kind of get involved, and we turn and look the other way, and we start going in a different direction, and we essentially abandon them. So it, equipping them is different from developing them in that equipping them, we're, we want them to be successful and have fulfillment and satisfaction in the ministry task that they have in the church. So that's the, that's the importance of equipping. He also talked about mentors. He said uh, how you look for somebody who's just a little bit ahead of you in ministry. And uh, I thought it was funny how he said, hey, can I, can I meet with you, what did he say, every two or three weeks? Yeah. You know, and yeah, every one of us is going to say no to that. None of us wants an every two or three weeks ongoing type of a meeting. So he said, hey, two or three times a year, can I get lunch with you, and can I pick your brain? And anybody would say yes to that. Sure. Now, a few minutes ago, Johnny, you said to me, uh, hey, let's talk about our mentors. And the truth is, as a young pastor, and maybe this is the way it was in the, in the middle 80s and early 90s, we, we didn't really have mentors. I didn't have a mentor. I mean, I just, I was supposed, if I was on a staff, I was supposed to know it. 
And if somebody was serving as in a ministry, it was because they knew what they were doing and they should know how to do it. And you didn't really tell other people what to do as much back then. And so we all had to kind of, you know, figure it out on our own. And we fumbled around in the dark until we <laughs> till we happened upon the right thing. And that's why you love John Maxwell so much. I mean, that's why you have all his books and, and have subscribed to his you know, leadership messages for so long is because in, in some ways, John Maxwell became almost like a yeah. virtual mentor yeah, for absolutely. you. It's been 22, I'm thinking about it while you're talking, 1991, I remember driving home from my job at UPS, my buddy <laughs> had given me a cassette tape. I put the cassette tape in my car player and I listened to my very first John Maxwell <laughs> leadership lesson. That's incredible. And it was love at first listen. It was love at first listen. <laughs> it was great. But nobody else was doing that at the right, time. Right, yeah, absolutely. So so I think what Dan says is so right. We need to look for mentors. I feel very blessed to be in a situation where I, I have Jeff as a mentor. And it's not just twice a year. I, I, you know, I get to pick his brain every day, um, which is nice. But if you don't have a mentor, go out and find someone. Take Dan's advice. Find a guy who's a, just the next level up of you. And, and pick his brain or pick her brain. And then my challenge would be if you if you are kind of uh, you've made your way in ministry a little bit, you've got some years under your belt, you have some experience, go find someone to mentor. And that's something Dan didn't necessarily hit on, but I think is so uh, ingrained throughout the book. And we get to the end, right? You got to coach. You, ha- you have to coach your uh, volunteer. You have to train your volunteer, um, mentor, all that stuff. And that's the development piece right after equipping. And uh, Johnny, that's no good. We just don't have any time. You know, I'm a small church pastor. I don't have the time, and I can't. I'm not going to. I hardly have time to change my mind. I'm not going to be looking around for another guy to mentor me. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I've been in it for 10, 20 years. I'm pretty busy. I'm not looking for, you know, nah, we're never going to do that. I mean, why would we want to be successful? Why would we want to develop or help ourselves? Why, why would we want to grow like that? Or develop someone else. Or develop someone else. So, Johnny, actually, yes, yeah, perfect. That's perfect. But, <laughs> you know, I can hear the guys out there saying, I- I- I'm too busy. I, I don't know who, would I- who I would ask to mentor me. Sure. So, you, you know what? You- you will- if you go somewhere to a new town, you will look around for a good restaurant. You'll look online, you'll read reviews, you'll prepare, and you'll look around for, you know what, how about doing that to find somebody to teach you and to mentor you? When I was working, I was working at a bank before I took this job. I was working at a bank and there was a, uh, there was a guy who banked with us and I knew that he was a pastor at a church in town. Mm -hmm. And just through our conversations across the teller line, um, I, I was, I would, I developed a relationship with this guy, uh, and we start, we met up a few times for coffee so I could pick his brain about ministry. Cause that's where I wanted to be. That's where I wanted to go. He was more than happy. We've stayed in touch a little bit since then. He was more than happy to do that. This is not a waste of time. Uh, if there's something that you can put on your schedule that will be a huge benefit to you, this would be it. Go and learn from somebody else. Pick somebody else's brain. Uh, find yourself a mentor, and then pass it down to somebody else. Go and mentor somebody else. I think that that's such a crucial part of this as well. Don't always take for yourself. Give it away to somebody else as well. And for those of you who have been in ministry for a while, you know that's found in Second Timothy chapter two, verse two. Commit thou in the King James. Commit thou to faithful men 
who will be able to teach others also. There you go. The biblical basis for the 200 Churches lesson of the day. So we are 60% through our conversation with Dan Ryland. Uh, we talked for a long time to him that with him that day, and the last Wednesdays of November and December will be parts four and five. I'm excited. Thank you so much today for listening to the 200 Churches Podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of the 200 Churches Podcast. Feel free to give the guys feedback or ask questions at 200churches.com. And remember, the leadership that you provide in your 200 church matters big in the kingdom of God.